off like a knucklehead. Okay? Welcome back to the Chase Brewster Show. I am your host, Chase Brewster. Today we have a very, very guest, someone who has changed the lives of, of hundreds and thousands of, of not only just baseball players, but uh, people in the community for uh, which he deals with. Someone who cares a great deal about not only baseball, but travel baseball and, and has a mission to make it better. And also someone that we all can look at as a role model, uh, someone who's a philanthropist, a published author, uh, and, and just kind of the definition of success when I think about it. Uh, I'd like to introduce your guest today, Dallas Patriots owner, Logan Stout. How are you doing today, Coach? Chase, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Doing great. Logan, you know, i obviously been a fan from afar. We've met um, numerous times and, and uh, you guys are the only team to run rollers ever in our eight years. So um, that's not the best compliment I can give someone, but it, it's, it is true. Um, so obviously just want to say, man, big fan of everything you're doing, um, everything you do for the kids in the community, and, and not only in baseball, but in business. And uh, I know it's uh, it's it's got to be hard. It's hard for me to just try to make baseball a better place, for you to try to make a bunch of business ventures a better place. Uh, you know, I, I got a lot of respect for you in that. I know you got a busy schedule. So, again, just want to say we appreciate you uh, coming on. Appreciate you, man. I, I appreciate it. And, you know, the baseball world is near and dear to my heart, you know. And, uh, you know, obviously I started the Dallas Patriots 20 – I don't even know now – 24 years ago, 25 years ago when I was coaching college baseball at Dallas Baptist University. And in the baseball world, man, it's uh, it, it's been so good to me and, and, and just the relationships and the people I've been able to – to do life with and learn from and grow with. And, and so I appreciate your kind words. You know, I know you got a, a very important, you know, meeting today, so we'll, we'll have to do this a little bit faster than normal, but I uh, kind of want to start and give you a chance to tell your story. Uh, you know, I know obviously you're a good player growing up. I believe you pitched. I uh, kind of want to just, you know, if somebody's listening to this podcast for the first time and, you know, they kind of don't know uh, the Logan Stout story, the growing up, the, um, you know, the college, the, the athletic ability, you know, especially on the mound. Kind of take me through that and kind of tell me how you ended up, uh, you know, at Dallas Baptist as a coach. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. No, I, I grew up, uh, uh, you know, uh, dirt poor. My mom raised my brother and I, and I kind of worked full time since the age of 12. And, you know, I always, you know, basketball was sort of the sport in the, in the, in the neighborhood that I grew up in. Nobody really played baseball. And, and uh, I remember I was out on the playground at uh, my elementary school and uh, there was a guy who basically asked me if I played baseball, and I said I did. And, of course, the definition of that for me back in the day was the free league at the YMCA, and it was about six games a year. That was it. And uh, anyway, fast forward, um, I went to my first ever select trial at the age of 12. It was for the North Dallas Chamber of Commerce, and uh, I, I made the team, and that sort of got me into the whole concept of, wow, baseball is competitive. I, I had no idea this existed. And But fast forward. Went to J.J. Pierce High School in Richardson. Uh, my main sport was basketball. I actually committed to play college basketball at the University of Oklahoma. 
And I got a phone call from Gerald Turner, uh, who at the time was a scout for the Kansas City Royals. He'd just been, I think, put in the Texas Scout Association Hall of Fame. But Gerald's a dear friend. He called me. He said, you know, Logan, uh, I'm not saying you can't go play in the NBA one day, but I'm certain you can play professional baseball if you'll commit to baseball. And and this is back before cell phones. And uh, and I'm, I'm kind of giving you the, the nicer version of that phone call. He said a few other things about my height and stuff like that, too, to try to discourage me oh, from man. basketball. And uh, and I just, you know, when you grow up the way I grew up, um, I just said, OK, well, what does that look like? He said, well, we can get you a full scholarship if you go to junior college uh, and just prove, commit to us that you're committed to baseball and you'll give up basketball. And I'm like, full scholarship. All right, I'm in. So he sent me to Panola Junior College. That's where he sent me. And and then Carthage, Texas. And, uh, you know, every time I see the Juco Bandit stuff and all that all over Twitter and whatnot, I love it. And I do encourage everybody, please feel free to connect to me on social. Whatever I can do for you, happy to do it. But long story short, I played there and was uh, my first year. I was hitting leadoff as a freshman and, you know, playing middle infield. And my ankle started bothering me and uh, I ended up having ankle surgery. And the following fall, I ended up uh, pitching for the first time since I was 12 years old. And being an all-conference pitcher, Went on to play uh, at the University of Dallas in college baseball because my mom was ill. And so I had some other offers and whatnot, but the University of Dallas made it totally free. Everything cost me nothing. And so uh, all the other schools that were out there, they may have been offering 40, 50 percent or whatever, but it still you know, would have cost 10,000 bucks or 20,000 bucks. And we just couldn't afford it. And so I went to the University of Dallas to be close to my mom to help her out and uh, was blessed to be you know, conference player of the year there, both as a shortstop and a pitcher. I was a two-way guy. Uh, my ankle had finally somewhat healed. And then my last college game, we were playing at Southwestern. My last game, I was on the mound in the first inning, threw a pitch, and my arm uh, tore my labor and my rotator cuff. Mm. Walked off the mound in the middle of the inning. Took me two years to rehab. That's when I ended up, uh, I got a phone call uh, from uh, a buddy of mine, Chris Nobbinshu. Nobby was a scout for the Braves for forever. Called me, and he said, he said, Stouty, uh, what do you think about being a college baseball coach? And I said, well, man, I'd, I'd like to try to rehab and play again. He goes, well, how long is that going to take? I said, well, at least a year. I don't know. He said, well, Dallas Baptist University, uh, they're getting a new coaching staff, and we'd love to have you come join the staff. So I was like, all right. And so that's sort of how that deal happened. And um, it and then, you know, fast forward a couple years later, things are going great. And then the NCAA basically changed the rule where you cannot – be a Division One college baseball coach. So we were the coaching staff that took uh, DBU from NAI to the probationary period, Division Two, and then NCAA Division One. And so uh, Wayne Pogue was the athletic director, and he said, "He said, you know, Logan, you're, have to, you're gonna have to give up the Dallas Patriots." So I'd actually started the Dallas Patriots uh, back in, I guess, 1999-2000. Uh, it was under a different name at the time. It was called the Dallas Knights, and. I remember I met with Janice at Arlington Sporting Goods. And Janice, I was in there picking up the DBU jerseys. This is how far back this goes. <laughs> it's funny thinking about it now. And so I'm back and Janice. And basically, long story short, we got a discount if I would get the Dallas Patriots jerseys at the same time as the Dallas Baptist University Patriots jerseys. They're the same jerseys, basically what they were. But we got a discount because we were buying in bulk, if you will. And I had these select teams going just, you know, just because it was enjoyable. It gave me something to do in the summer and I enjoyed, you know, the ministry aspect of it, making a difference in kids' lives, and I did it for free. I mean, I didn't charge a single penny for it. And basically, they told me I had to make a choice. You know, you, you, know, you have a chance to be a Division One college head baseball coach, but you have to give up the Dallas Patriots. Well, what what no one knew is, uh, you know, I was an entrepreneur by heart and still am, and so I had started a company in the off season. 
And it was making me a heck of a lot more money than college coaching was. And so I resigned. I resigned from DBU. And I still, about side note, I have great relationships there. Adam Wright, the president, who was the vice president when I was coaching there. He's the president now. I was just with him. I was at a DBU, DBU's home opener on the field there with Dan Heifer. And they're doing an amazing job uh, at DBU. Absolutely unbelievable. Um, and I'm very proud uh, to see I coach there. Uh, and they always treat me great whenever we go back. And so, but the point is, um, you know, I, re- I kind of retired from college coaching and the Patriots are sort of doing their thing. And I, I didn't charge a penny for it. And it wasn't until like, it was like 2004, maybe. I think we started charging for the first time and it was minimal. It was like 500 bucks just because everything started costing more money. And then, you know, perfect game came around and then you had all this, all these other sanctions. Cause back in the day, at least in Dallas, it was boys baseball Inc. That was it. And you played your league and then you went to double ABC. If you won the, you won, you won your deal. You went to the regional. If you won that, you went to state, you won that, you went to the world series. And so we'd won the double double ABC world series two years in a row. And I only planned on having like one team. That was it. And I started getting all this mail from parents wanting their kids to try out for us. And that's how long ago that was. They were sending mail, like actual mail. And so we were getting all these envelopes and I was opening them up and all these parents were pitching me on their kid. It was hilarious thinking back on it. So we'd host these tryouts. And and really, to be completely honest with you, uh, the Dallas Patriots kind of just grew organically on its own. My, my passion was to use the platform and still is, is to use the platform of baseball to make a positive impact in kids' lives. That, that was my whole purpose. It was never to become what it's become. Um, and so, uh, long story short, you know, uh, I was blessed to play. I was coaching at Dallas Baptist university, um, changed the name from the Knights to Dallas Patriots. Well, then Brian Wilson, uh, who's since passed away, Willie was the area scout for the Cincinnati Reds. I was an associate scout for the Reds back then. This was 2003 and we had a pre-draft workout, a pre-draft workout at DBU. And so we had all the top prospects, you know, come to DBU and we kind of, you know, ran them through something similar to what you'd see at Area Code or Future Star Series or Perfect Game, right? And so we'd run them through the whole deal, pre-draft workout, and uh, we needed another arm. And so basically Willie was like, hey, Logan, can you get up there and throw? Now, I hadn't thrown since the day I walked off the mound, meaning I haven't thrown from 60 feet, 6 inches. I'd thrown batting practice, but I had not walked thrown off the mound. You know, me being young and dumb, I was like, yeah, I can do it. And so I get up on the mound. Long story short, you know, the guys are swinging and missing. These are the top prospects around. And so, so you know, we get done, and and uh, a couple couple of the scouts came up to me and go, man, your arm's feeling pretty good? And I go, yeah, yeah, actually, it does feel pretty good. And they go, have you been throwing bullpens? I said, no, just batting practice every day. And they said, do you know how hard you were throwing? I said, no idea. I don't know. How hard was I throwing? They said, you touched 93 once. I said, what? You got to remember, this is back in 2003. Now everybody throws 93. But back then, that was rare. And uh, I said, what? And they said, man, you ought to see if you can, you know, play again. So I had some different opportunities for affiliated ball. But a buddy of mine, Jake Carney, who was my teammate in college, uh, he had tried playing. He was playing with the Fort Worth Cats, which is uh, back then independent league. And it was local. And so my whole deal is I had this other company running. I had the Dallas Patriots going. And I didn't want to like drop all that to head off for affiliated ball because I fell in love with coaching. I, I enjoyed coaching and still do this day far more than I ever enjoyed playing, and which is crazy to say that, but that, that's just that you can't lie to your heart. And so anyway, I go work out with the Fort Worth Cats and I, I pitch against them for the Chinese national team. So it was an exhibition game in the preseason, 
I'm pitching for the Chinese national team against the Fort Worth Cats. I'm throwing low to mid-90s, and, they, and the Fort Worth Cats signed me. And that's basically how I got into pro ball as a pitcher. Um, had various affiliate opportunities, but my arm just was never the same. And so I, I, would, I would last about a month, and my arm would start killing me. I'd go on the disabled list. I'd come back, last about a month, my arm would start killing me. I'd go on the DL. And so that's just what, that was my career. And then my second year in pro ball, um, I, uh, I had started another company in the offseason, and I was – I'll never forget it. It was like one o'clock in the afternoon. My roommate was a guy named Ryan Weems. Ryan pitched at TCU. He was my roommate, and I was kind of mentoring him on entrepreneur stuff and you know how to how to you know this baseball thing may not last forever. You ought to find other options to make money. And and I'll never forget it as long as I live. Uh, by then, I had a laptop, and I logged into my back office. This was two thousand and five. I lagged into the it's called a back office to see our financial reporting. Anyway, this may be more information you care to hear, but long story short, uh, <laughs> I called my wife. I said, honey, uh, are you aware of how well our business is doing? And she goes, no. And I told her, and I walked into our GM's office the next day, Monty Clegg. I said, Monty, I'm retiring. He goes, what do you mean you're retiring? You're like one of our top guys. And I said, oh, man, I appreciate it. My arm's not the same. It's not healthy. It's miserable. It hurts so bad. And I got other opportunities in business that uh, I'd be stupid not to pursue. So that's how the whole deal happened. And so because of the other businesses, uh, I've been able to do the Dallas Patriots as a, as a ministry, as a, as, a, as a leadership platform to pour into kids' lives. Uh, I've got a great staff that run it, uh, much to the surprise of people that don't know. I actually have nothing to do with the day-to-day of the Dallas Patriots. I just help our pro guys, our college guys, and then our high school kids get their scholarships. The, 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 the things I enjoy, that's what I do. And... Um, the rest of the staff handles everything else. And uh, um, because of business, I was you know, I'm able to afford those guys and they're phenomenal. And I'm very grateful for not only the people that are at the Patriots now, but the ones that have been here over the last 25 years. I mean, I could, I can count back to all the great men uh, and women that have worked for the Dallas Patriots and, and made it, you know, made it who we are today without them, we wouldn't be who we are today. And so, yeah, that's my, uh, that's my brief baseball background. And so today i Coach the Patriots. I still help Bobby Crook, who's the national cross-checker with the Texas Rangers. So I'm an associate scout helping him. He was my college uh, teammate. And, uh, and that's that's it, man. Do you ever have any uh, what-if or resentment about, you know, the fact that, hey, if I'd have kept playing basketball, I'd have, I'd have played in the Big 12. and You know, I'm you know what's funny him. about that? I'm in my dorm room in P- Panola Junior College, in the dorm room, sitting there watching the University of Oklahoma in the Final Four. And both their point guards had gotten hurt previously in the season. Mm. <laughs> so I was sitting there going, uh, but you know what? I believe God has a plan, man. I believe our, our messes are, are, are there to create a powerful message. You know, there's no such thing as a smooth mountain. If there were, how in the world would you climb it? And so I look back, I, I, I just think about the people I've met because of baseball, right? Uh, the free education, never had to pay a penny for school. Uh, that would not have happened in basketball. And, uh, you know, the lives that we've been able to impact through the, through the Dallas Patriots. It's been an absolute blessing. And uh, I, I cannot believe it's been 25 years. You know, yeah, yeah, that tells you how old I'm getting. But at the end of the day, uh, I still love basketball. It's still a great sport, but, but there's nothing better than baseball. I mean, to me, baseball is the most beautiful game in the world. And my regret would be, I wish I knew then what I know now, right? I would have protected my arm better. I wouldn't have, as a kid, gotten overused. And that's why you know, uh, Game Changer had myself and uh, the president of USA Baseball at the time and, and then Morgan Sward with the Major League Baseball Commissioner's Office. You know, we were part of that whole interview at South by Southwest for for PitchSmart, the PitchSmart initiative that now you know, MLB came up with. And 
And, and that, that's something that I've been doing since we started the Patriots because I got hurt. Uh, and for all coaches listening to this, you know, I know y'all know this, but no win is more important than keeping a kid healthy. And um, that would be my biggest regret. I, I would have loved to have known how good I could have been uh, if my arm didn't hurt all the time. And But it did, and it is what it is. But it's, that's what drove me to coaching. If I didn't get hurt, I would have been coaching, and we wouldn't be on this podcast right now. No doubt. Well, man, you know, when you, there's so many different ways you could go with the 25 years. You've had some really good ones. Um, I, I guess I kind of first knew about you you know, kind of growing up and, and obviously you guys had a lot of success. It just was, you know, so new and, and summer baseball was changing as a whole. But Greg Milhorn um, was a kid who I loved dearly. He went and played for you guys. Um, yeah, right here in a picture. Oh, yeah. Great kid. And Greg, Greg was on that Jupiter team that had Trevor Story. Um, I'm not sure if Bell was on that team too, but there was a lot of really good players on that, on that Jupiter team. So you've had runs of um, a lot of success in your program. You know, just kind of wanted to take a quick second to, to maybe, you know, highlight some of those guys or, you know, just kind of talk about, you know, you've obviously won a, a ton of championships and just been uber successful in your field and your profession. So I uh, wanted to give you a chance to just kind of talk about some of the alumni you guys have had, some of the good runs you've, you've went on in the past. Yeah, th- yeah. I mean, that, that Jupiter team was phenomenal. In fact, in that I think it was the semifinal game there in Jupiter. I can't remember. We were playing against Jared's group, Jared Godwin. And they had uh, we had Trevor Story at short, Josh Bell uh, at first. Um, we started John Curtis, who's the big leaguer, won Game Three of the World Series for the Rays a few years ago. In relief, we had Jake Thompson for the Philadelphia Phillies, who played for the Phillies. I think we had AJ Minters, one of our alumni too. AJ won the World Series Atlanta Braves. He's uh, on that team. Of course, J- uh, Trevor Story at short. Um, I think we ended up having, golly. Quite a few big leaguers, but the team we were playing against, they had Francisco Lindor at short, Javi Baez at third, and Jose Fernandez on the mound. Cardinal Scouts. Oh, it was. You ask anybody that was there that to this day that was known as the most watched amateur game in the history of travel ball, and uh, I mean there was over six hundred golf carts, and it was documented. Like it's it's unbelievable. And for those of you that don't know Jupiter, the golf carts are what all the major league scouts and college coaches sit. And in fact, it was so funny. I had parents. Getting coming up to our dugout, complaining because they couldn't watch the game because all the college coaches and scouts were in the no, way. I believe that for sure, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I said, well, that's that's your problem. But now some of our other alumni, Chris Davis, who had a great career, you know, won, led Major League Baseball in home runs twice, and uh, you know, great. He was drafted by the Rangers, Longview High School kid, and then went on had Navarro a great college. career. With, yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, Navarro, and he went on and played. Uh, uh, you know, at Baltimore Orioles is where he had some of his best success, but. You know, we've had Chris Davis in the Home Run Derby, Trevor Story in the Home Run Derby, Josh Bell in the Home Run Derby. We've had, uh, I guess, three starters in the All-Star game. We've had a bunch of great guys, but, I mean, their talent is phenomenal. But what I'm most proud of of all the – I mean, I think we have 15 or 16 current big leaguers, but what I'm most proud of uh, is who these are, guys are as young men. I mean, that's, to me, you know, baseball comes and goes, and ultimately it's who you become along the way. And I'm just very, very humbled um, – at the at the the people they are and the young men that they are not not just their talent on the field and so uh, as coaches I think it's important we always remind ourselves of that you know these players at some point Lord willing they're going to grow up and be a dad and a husband and maybe even a coach and the lessons we're teaching them now are pre- either going to prepare them or or sabotage them uh, for the future and uh, and I just I look at how our our alumni and not just them we got a bunch of other guys in the big leagues too that are that are doing really well and you know uh we 
have major league draft picks every year, but I just I'm more proud of who they are as people than anything else. Take me through the Dallas travel ball scene right now. There's a ton of good programs. Um, obviously, uh, you guys are, are kind of leading the way, but you know Dallas Tigers do a good job, and, and USA Prime, and just some of those guys in there. How over the time since you started in the 25 years, how has just the dynamic of obviously kids can go wherever they want, and they grow up playing with this youth team, and they go to that youth team. Um, you know, for good or for worse, take me through kind of the Dallas travel baseball situation uh, as it is from when you started as as to where it is today. Well, you know, it's funny. I, when I was younger, I saw everybody as com- competition. And now that I'm older, um, I'm really just here to help people, you know. And I look back at a younger me, one of the biggest regrets I have is, uh, you know, we're all in this thing together to truly help the kids. Uh, no matter what the jersey is on the front, uh, what matters is that young 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 boy wearing it. And um, I'm I'm proud of the Dallas travel ball circuit right now. I mean, there's obviously bad actors and everything, um, but there's some great coaches uh, around the area. And you know, I'm heck, I have a ton of alumni that have started their own baseball organizations, and I'm proud of them. They're doing a really good job. And um, You know, anytime you're in travel ball, you know, depending on what the goal is for us, the Patriots, you know, I don't want a ton of teams. I want good ones. I don't do this for a living. So I have that luxury. But the ones that, you know, they do need the teams because that's what keeps our facilities full and and um, and all that. You know, there's going to be good and bad with everything. But uh, I think overall in the Dallas market, there's just a lot of good options for families and kids and a lot of good coaches. And um, it didn't used to always be that way. I mean, when I started. Back in the beginning, it was just us, uh, the Dallas Tigers, the Dallas Mustangs, and that was about it. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I don't mean to leave anybody off. But there's other ones, I'm sure. I'm just drawing a blank. But there weren't many uh, because I remember we'd come to my office. Uh, once a month, we'd have our board meetings at my office because we were on the same league back then, right? This is before all this, this you know, perfect game stuff is and all that came about and all the other ones, Future Star Series, et cetera. And so um, – uh, they would come to my office once a month and we'd have our board meetings and there was eight of us, right? That was it. Uh, and so it was just, it was funny looking back at how small that world was. And yet today there's so many teams. And, you know, what I've come to, to find is they come and go, you know, when people get in it for the wrong reasons and are doing it just purely to make money, they don't last very long. Um, I believe in the both and principle. I, I, there's nothing wrong with both making money as long as the and is there and we're here to truly help the kids. I think where people get off track is where they're just, they get focused on the money and it, it becomes not even select baseball anymore. Right. It becomes really just a uniform grab um, at the youth age levels. It's harder, right? Because what I've seen in 25 years is the best 10 year old is rarely, rarely the best 18 year old. And, and so the youth age levels, you know, when I'm mentoring other guys that are starting baseball, I had a call right before I got in here with you with a guy who has, some teams, some 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old teams in the Dallas area. And he was just asking for advice. And I just said, listen, man, don't ever give up on a kid who's 8 years old or 9 years old or 10 years old. Your job is to transfer belief in that kid, keep the game fun, coach him up so he continues to have a passion for the game. And, you know, Lord only knows where that kid's going to be when he's 15, 16, 17, 18, right? And so uh, I don't have a problem with, you know, organizations having – bunch of teams at the younger age levels as long as they have great coaching it doesn't mean the team has to be great but as long as they have great coaching because ultimately when you get to the high school age levels at least for us for the Dallas Patriots if we don't know we can get a kid a place to play college baseball 
um, then he doesn't make a Patriot team. That's just that's just our philosophy, and uh, and that's why every kid that's graduated through our program has been afforded the opportunity to play college baseball. It's because we won't take a kid unless we know he can. And so uh, it's just a different mindset. But I think the, the area, the Dallas DFW area, and not only DFW, the surrounding areas, I just feel like I feel like it's really, I feel like it's getting better in a lot of regards. And obviously, there's there's some bad actors that they won't last very long anyway. So there's no point in talking about them. Well, obviously, you know, you, you've 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 afforded the luxury of growing old to be the the veteran and the mentor. So. Um, you, you've been around the Dallas scene long enough to see it kind of take fold. And uh, we're, we're just now kind of starting to see some of these situations, you know, the Texarkana's of the world are behind Dallas uh, to just kind of seeing how things are going to play out. But um, obviously you guys and, and, and uh, a couple others, Hernandez and those guys do a really good job. So I know as a guy that born and raised in Texas, man, we appreciate everything you guys do for, for the Texas kids and obviously the Dallas kids as well. Well, I appreciate that. And you're doing a great job, man. You're doing a great job with what you're doing. But Well, you know, no, I, I appreciate that. I'll tell you, um, we so that w- we've been good a bunch of summers, to be honest. But the one summer we were pretty good, we, we threw the same left-hander every first round of the playoffs. And we had won a bunch of games all summer. And um, we got the – I think it was the one seed in, in Jeremy's event, the Future Star Series. And we ended up having to play you guys as the wild card. You scored like 10 in the first inning. Um <laughs> And it was such a shame because we had always – I mean, I don't want to say throw off. We would always basically threw off in the first round because we always had such a high seed that we never had to worry about facing the kind of arms you had. We had just never played – just very rarely did a Dallas Patriots team end up as the low seed or the high, or the high seed, I guess it is. So, um, yeah, it was the only time we've ever been run-ruled as far as I can remember. And it wasn't a good feeling, so – I remember that event because it was in Lake Charles, yeah. Louisiana, yeah. and it, uh, the humidity was through the roof. And we had, I remember we had just flown in the night before. We had a morning game, our first game of that tournament. We had just flown in, I think it was from Hoover, Alabama, from that uh, yeah. perfect game event. And we were, I mean, we were exhausted. And, uh, and I remember that. <laughs> that was a, that was a, that was a battle, that event, man. It was just, it was, it was humid and miserable, and I think they've since moved that event now to, to Nashville. I think, yeah. And I don't know. Yeah, Jeremy, that'll be a lot, that'll be a lot easier on the kiddos than, than Lake Charles, Louisiana. I don't. I hopefully, Jeremy. I like, I'm one of those guys. I like to pretend everybody listens, but you know, if Jeremy listens, we we appreciate everything. You know, uh, Jeremy Booth and those guys are doing. And that was my last time to go. Uh, not that because we don't want to, just because of scheduling conflict. But uh, it, it wasn't. I'm not a, as fun. Um, memory teller of the Future Stars events because we 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 took it on the chin to the Dallas Patriots, but I think that's the only time we've ever played you guys, as far as I can remember. Yeah, I don't know, man. You do it as long as I have. It all runs together. <laughs> well, you know, you know, I grew up. It's funny because I grew up being such a fan of you and Jeff Petty and, and and even Ray with the Banditos, and and I'm so you know far away from you guys travel wise that you kind of. You always know about them, but you remember when you play them. Just because I'm kind of, I was kind of the young guy chasing you guys, and you know, wanting to pretend to be y'all. Um, but I think you know, we, we ran into each other um, this year. You you played before us in the same dugout at Atlanta, um, in in the PBR in the perfect game. I don't know if it was W, or I think it might have been Hoover. Maybe I'm not sure, but anyway, got to see you guys play this year. Um, I think you are playing maybe G, GBSA Rays. Uh, Eddie, Eddie uh, Phelps and those guys may be the game before us. So, um, 
anyway, you saw you guys again this year. You're obviously talented. You've been talented for a long time. Tell me a little bit about, um, you know, the, the youth and, and what you guys got coming up and, and kind of what you're looking forward to uh, with your Patriots teams. Man, you know, selfishly, what I'm looking forward to is I'm getting to coach my own kids. You know, it's so funny. It's uh, my wife and I, you know, uh, we, we, we struggled having children and for a long time and took us over a decade to get pregnant and had some miscarriages. But long story short, we're blessed to have twins uh, who are 10 years old. And so it's so funny because uh, being back at those younger age levels, man, it's, there's some things I really don't like about it. But uh, I love getting to see my kids play, and and uh, so that's actually what I'm I'm enjoying right now is coaching my little dudes, and, and it's funny because there's kids on the team, and I coach their dads, so it's mm. pretty it's pretty awkward, but um, but it's fun, it's fun coaching these little guys, the little sponges, and and then with the high school age groups, man, it's just it's you know it's just fun seeing all the stuff that's going on, man. There's so many great options, so many great events, so many great tournaments, and uh, you know it's uh, for me. Every year, what keeps me doing it is just seeing these kids, you know, dreams come true, opening doors for them, whether it's college scholarships or the major league draft. And it's just, uh, it's really rewarding. It's just a lot of fun. And I just, I think it's important that we all remember, uh, don't ever forget why we started in the first place, you know? And, um, and so for me, coaching my 10 year olds, it, it kind of takes me back to why I started coaching in the first place, you know? And I'm passionate about teaching the game. You know, I've, I've, it's one of the things I've, I get frustrated with you. You don't see a lot of teachers of the game anymore. And I love teaching the game. Uh, and so getting to teach these little 10 year olds is a lot of fun. In fact, Dan Heefner, we're out on the field. You know, my kids were out there watching the opening day uh, for DBU. And then he let me, you know, my twins went out on the field and shagged fly balls during BP and stuff. And it was funny, Dan, coach, Dan's the head baseball coach at DBU. And, and Dan said, uh, he asked Miles, one of my little 10 year olds, he goes, Miles, what positions do you play? And he said, well, middle infield, second base. My brother plays shortstop. And, and he goes, all right, the double play, do you like the underhand flip or the side flip? And my little, my little son, he goes, he goes, well, it depends, coach. If the ball's right at you, it's, it's a side flip. But if the ball takes you to your right, it's underhand. And Dan started cracking up laughing. And Dan looked at me and goes, do you know how many 18-year-olds have no idea that that's how you're supposed to do that? I, know about that. <laughs> and I said, it's, it's sad but true. And so for me, you know, I always say what I look for in a player is I, I look for a kid who wants to grow as a young man, wants to be a leader. Number two, I look for a young man that wants to become a better player, realizes they still have a lot to learn. Number three, I look for a human being that wants to be a great teammate. You're going to be a great teammate. Individuals play the game, teams win championships. Fourth thing I look for is is, is uh, the non-negotiables, right? And that is you're going to bring great attitude, effort, and focus, period. Regardless of the umpiring, the field, the travel, how tired you are, your soreness, you're going to bring great attitude, great effort, great focus. And then the last thing I look for, guys that absolutely cannot stand losing. And it's getting harder and harder to find those kids nowadays. Um, but that's what I look for in a player. And, and so for me, what I'm most passionate about is finding young men like that um, who truly get it and truly want to grow, uh, both on and off the field. And so that never gets old for me. You, you, you use the term journey and, and you talked about, you know, your journey right there. You know, in your book, you talked about, um, you know, a house in, in, a, in a neighborhood that you wanted to live in as a youngster. And, you know, you drive over there and you'd look and, and you knew that uh, one day you were going to live there and, and eventually you did. So, um, but what I took from that is you had a vision and you knew uh, you, you had a, a, a something that was attainable for you and a visual of that vision and, and you knew um, what you wanted to do. So, you know, I know you got to get out of here. I want to uh, just kind of let you speak on, you know, I, just, just reading a little bit that I read, 
you know, kind of knowing you a little bit, I do. I think a lot of this has uh, been a long-term vision for you. I think you, you've been very successful because you know what you're trying to do. So I'll just kind of let you talk about that real quick. Well, I appreciate that. Now, I just think the majority of people um, exist their life versus intentionally designing their lives. And so for me, one of the biggest things I try to instill in, in whoever wants to listen to me is how to be a visionary leader for you and for those counting on you. And, you know, as the saying goes, what a shame to have perfect eyesight yet has no vision. And I just see a lot of people in today's world, they're just, they kind of, every day is like Groundhog Day, it's just cruise control. And and then they wake up, they have New Year's resolutions, they make all these promises to themselves. And then next year, it's the same exact New Year's resolutions as they had the previous year. And so, yeah, the part in Grit Factor, the book, I think that's, uh, it is. I wrote about that, Stout Advice or Grit Factor? Grit, I don't grit Factor. Book. Was it in Grit Factor? Yeah. So in that book, no, I talked about it. So when I was, uh, you know, I grew up dirt poor. And so uh, when I was old enough to drive, I bought myself my own car and uh, there was this neighborhood, man, that was gated. You couldn't get in it. And Jerry Jones uh, actually built it. And I used to go in there. And listen, money doesn't drive me, never has. But, you know, when you grow up the way I grew up, you just want freedom. That's what you want. You, you, you know, you want to be able to go where you want to go, when you want to go there, do life with the people you want to do life with and not be bound by a job. At least for me, that was me. For sure. And so, and so, uh, and that's why I wrote Grit Factors, to help people accomplish that. And, you know, Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, she wrote The Forward. And she and I both grew up the same way, you know, grew up you know, dirt poor. And so... Anyways, I used to uh, sneak into that neighborhood. It's called Starwood. And I used to sneak into it. And there was one street in there called Monterey. And uh, I would sneak into there and I would I would literally drive down that street and just in awe. I, I remember looking at these houses going, what do these people do to get these houses? Well, anyway, fast forward, uh, 2005, I bought my dream home in there. And uh, my neighbor was Chris Bosch. It was hilarious. And uh, uh, Chris Boss, the Miami Heat, was on my right. And Leonard Davis, the offensive lineman of the Cowboys, on my left. And I was like, well, that's how you do it. You become a <laughs> professional athlete with a ton of money. And uh, but, uh, but anyway, it was a good story and, and something. Obviously, I didn't know you then, but very happy for you. And I think anybody knows you and knows your story, you know, happy for you. And, and anyway, I just wanted to say, I mean, it was very obvious that, you know, when you have a vision, it, it's a lot easier to attain it. Uh, you know, when you know what you're trying to do, I feel like. Yeah, well, I mean, there's no doubt about that. It's, it's you know, you'll never hit a bullseye that doesn't exist, right? And so uh, I'd encourage everybody, you know, if, you, if you're honored to be a coach, if you have that honor to be a coach, make sure you're helping these young men or young women, make sure you're helping them establish a vision for their life, you know, because if you don't, the world's going to mess up their vision or ruin their vision altogether. And I always tell people, listen, you know, I know uh, I've got to sign off to get on another uh, uh, deal, but here's what I'll say. Um, the world will do everything it can to steal your dreams. And what, I, what people have to understand is God puts dreams on your heart, not for other people to understand them, but for you to own it. And if we will just learn to own our dreams, you got to realize you're going to have haters. The most adored human being of all time, the most loved human being of all time to walk the earth was Jesus Christ. The most hated human being of all time, Jesus Christ, right? And so my encouragement to you is if you go around trying to please people, you're going to please nobody. And 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 when you do anything of significance, you're going to have people that judge you, don't know you, hate you. It's just part of it. But for those of you watching this or listening to this, I just want to encourage you. If you have a dream on your heart, that was placed there for a reason. And and go pursue your dreams. And, you know, people say, well, Logan's got all this money. Listen, you can't give what you don't have. And for my wife and I, my wife and I grew up together since seventh grade. And our biggest passion in life is to give, is try to make a difference. And, uh, you know, when I'm young and dumb, you give for the applause. As you get older and more wiser, um, I give for the cause. And and 
I just encourage everybody listening to this, go pursue your dreams. I mean, you're never too old to do it either. I hear people say all the time, well, I'm already X amount of years old. Who cares? You're still walking the earth. Go do something special with it, you know? Well, and so, and you're doing that. Well, you know, I appreciate that. That and, means a lot. Yeah, I'm proud of you. This well, podcast you're doing, adding value to people's lives, and that's really what we're here to do. Well, I, so we end every show with five moments of truth. I, I got to let you go, but real quick, one word answers or, or how many ever you want. Uh, give me the best advice you've ever received and who gave it to you. Ooh, that's a good one. That's deep. Uh, John Maxwell, an author, speaker, uh, he told me, he said, he, he said, Logan, you need to write a book. It's not the best advice, but it pertains to this podcast. He goes, you need to write a book. I go, I don't want to write a book. He goes, he goes, well, I didn't want to write a book either. I go, you've written like 70 books. What do you mean you didn't want to write a book? He goes, I'm a communicator that writes, not a writer that communicates. He goes, you need to write a book because it'll make a difference in people's lives that you'll never meet. Mm-hmm. And I think it pertains to this podcast because, uh, you know, I wouldn't be on here if you didn't read Grit Factor, right? For and sure. so, uh, and so my point is, is I, I believe everybody has a book to write, and I would encourage people to write it because it'll make a difference. Give me the biggest mentor you've ever had. John Maxwell. Well, Jesus Christ is number one, but then uh, John Maxwell for sure. Give me the best up and coming guy in your profession. Ooh, which profession? You know, speaking, author, either one you want. Either one you want. Holy cow! I don't know, man. That's baseball. Baseball up and coming guy. Ooh, there's a kid out of Dallas. I just I'm mentoring right now. I think he's been pretty good. He's not with the Dallas Patriots. He's an independent team. His his name's Frank Brawls. I think he's I think he's got a chance to be pretty good. I'm looking forward to getting to know him a little bit better. Personal goals or professional goals for this year. Personal goals to be the best dad and husband I can possibly be. Uh, professional goals. I got my next book that uh, is my, my publisher's wearing me out to finish. It's called Visionary Leader. I got to get that. I got to get that done. I'm really excited about it. I think it's it's uh, as much as I, I'm proud of my other books I've written. I, this this one I think is going to really really be uh, pertinent to the world. And I'll be speaking, of course, at the ABCA conference in Dallas coming up in 2024. And hopefully it'll be done by then. I think it's really going to help coaches and, and just people that, you know, want to be a great leader. I just I, I, th- Those principles have come from my mistakes and those principles have come from my successes. And so I'm excited about that. I look forward to hearing you at the ABCA. The last question, I started this whole podcast to change the world. As I get older, I want to be a part of change. And I don't necessarily always know what that looks like. But I know I want to surround myself with people like you who, who have a plan and, and believe in change. So as we leave this thing and we sign off for this podcast – uh, give me, you know, just leave it however you want to, of how we all can leave this place uh, and change the world and leave it a little better than we found it. Well, success is getting what you want. Significance is helping other people get what they want. And I can promise you, once you taste significance, success won't do it for you. But you got to be successful in order to give to others so you are significant, right? And so success has a bunch of different meanings. Uh, but ultimately, my my passion for my life is to add value to people's lives to make this world a better place. You know, ultimately, if we want a better world, we need better countries. If we want better countries, we need better states. If we want better states, we need better cities. If we want better cities, we need better neighborhoods. If we want better neighborhoods, we need better households. If we want better households, we need better people. So if we can grow people, we grow households, communities, neighborhoods, cities, states, country, and the world. And so for me, that's what drives me every day. When I meet my maker, uh, I pray I hear the words, job well done, my good and faithful servant. And I want to be somebody that people look back on and go, you know what, that guy, that guy left this world better than he found it. And I believe if we can all sort of embody that mindset. Um, just think of where the world would be. Logan, I can't thank you enough. I know you got to run to another call. 
I appreciate you coming on the Chase Brewster Show. And if I can ever do anything to help, please let me know. Thank you, brother. I appreciate all you're doing. Thank you, Logan.